Welcome to episode 15 of season 2 of the Search with Candor podcast, recorded on Wednesday the 20th of April 2022, hosted by Jack Chambers and Mark Williams-Cook. Today, we will be talking about how to avoid manual actions on your medical site, an update on Google's guidelines regarding AI-generated content, multi-account Google Ads dashboard, Google tests a play, listen feature and people also ask, and the new WooCommerce and Pinterest partnership. What the hell was that? (laughs) That was our AI friend Don reading the intro for us. Very scarily good. Right? Yeah. It's uh, using a tool called Descript. They are not sponsoring the podcast, but I regularly use them for doing uh, bits of editing and tweaking and stuff like that. And they have a fantastic thing called the Overdub, where you can just create voices out of thin air just by typing text into into their app. And you can actually do it with your own voice if you submit them a like selection of your own voice you can deep fake yourself with your own voice so maybe we'll do a whole episode of me and mark not actually here and i'll just type out and see what happens maybe we're not actually here (laughs) who knows who knows we're definitely here good time to talk about though google testing a new play and listen feature for paas right yes exactly so this was highlighted on twitter a few days ago um and we're looking at a basically little extra button next to the PAAs, a little speaker button, and you can click and it will read it out to you with a lovely little AI voice. That was highlighted on Twitter by Kunjal Chawan. Uh, So shout out to you, Kunjal. Thank you for spotting that. And of course, it was picked up by all the usual places, including uh, Search Engine Roundtable as well, kind of highlighted in one of their uh, most up-to-date articles there. And yeah, they're talking about kind of I guess it's an accessibility thing and talking about how we've had listen icons on local search before. There's been some options for that on knowledge panels already as well. But now coming over to even, you know, SERP features such as people also asked, we now, you know, uh, visually impaired people can actually experience those for themselves in an audio format. And if you are uh, one of those people, if you just want to test it out yourself, it is kind of uh, being rolled out. I haven't I haven't been able to replicate it myself. Personally, I've tried a few different things, including the search that um, Kunjal did themselves. But have you been able to replicate it at all, Mark? Have you seen it anywhere? No. Yeah. So um, I these features, they'll normally test them in the US first. Yes. And I did try a few times with a US proxy trying to trigger it, and I couldn't get it. So sometimes... Yeah, I use my VPN to try and do it on the US, yeah. Yeah, they have these limited tests. We've actually um, got a previous podcast that explains if you have seen someone that's been like opted in for one of these tests there's actually a way to kind of copy their cookie settings so <laughs> you get opted into that test as well I, I find this interesting because this is like one of the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that on its own doesn't maybe look that kind of interesting broadly but this is, I think, coming towards this future of this multimodal search and just kind of shouting at your TV and your TV shouting back the answer to you. <laughs> um, you know, and I think it's interesting seeing Google test all these things and having these dynamic voices. So it does get to the point where you just Star Trek style, ask your computer something. It's constantly creepily listening from everywhere and it just makes an answer and says yeah. it to you. The amount of times I've triggered my google at home or friends have triggered their alexa and stuff like that it is 
It's pretty scary. What? So if someone's listening to the podcast and you say like, hey Siri or hey Google, that could trigger yes, it. Yes, definitely. Oh, probably shouldn't do that. Though. I think my phone just vibrated in my pocket <laughs> as we're recording this. It recognised you, Mark. It knows. Let's talk about Systrix. Yes, we should. Because Search with Canada is supported by Systrix, the SEO's toolbox. You can go to systrix.com slash SWC to check out some of their excellent free tools, such as their Instagram hashtag generator, Google update tracker, page speed comparison, and tracking your site's visibility index. That's systrix.com slash SWC for free SEO tools, systrix.com slash trends for trend watch. And we'll actually be talking about the latest index watch winners and losers from Q1 of 2022 later on in the show. Okay, uh, Glenn Gabe has made it onto the podcast again. For the <laughs> He's been on a few times before. Ten regular result. Fifteenth, twentieth yeah, time. Something like that. Um but well deserved as usual. He has written an article called How Newsguard's Nutritional Labels Can Help Publishers Avoid Manual Actions for Medical Content Violations in Google News and Discover. So I imagine for many people, even involved in SEO. Some of that title would have been confusing, especially if you haven't heard of NewsGuard and especially if you think nutritional has anything to do with food and eating, because it does <laughs> not. It's a clever metaphor. Well, it does have to do with eat, right, Mark? Oh, wow. E-A-T? Listeners? That was yeah. good. Yeah. Okay, that. Oh, brother, this guy stinks! Yeah. <laughs> so I will, of course, we will link to the post on our show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk and I have done my best to read, understand and give you the top line kind of summary overview of this post because it is very interesting. So, some facts. We know because Google and John Mueller specifically has told us before that Google, their algorithm can be more critical when it comes to medical and health-related sites, or in general, sites referred to as YMYL, your money or your life. So YMYL, for those that don't know, is the kind of sites that deal with things to do with finances or medical information, i.e. there is a real risk of someone getting harmed if the information is wrong. We touched on this very briefly with the title rewrites before where you had a featured snippet giving the wrong advice for like abdominal thrusts when you're choking on something. It was like, stick that, stick your hand down their throat. And it was all very wrong and very bad. But yeah, Google cares an e that extra little bit about these kind of sites where you're investing your money, your health matters, all that kind of stuff, which is where we kind of come to this, your money, your life. We actually covered in episode 85 with Lily Ray, we talked a lot about eat and your money, your life sites and patents. And actually even Google talking about having a kind of smaller, more constricted index when it comes to these kinds of queries of sites that they, they trust more. So it's definitely a different kind of ball game to generalized um, search. And Glenn's post about NewsGuard and medical content violations is specifically to do with manual actions in Google News and Discover. So firstly, when it comes to manual actions, which is your site being penalized for something, it's worth noting that manual actions can affect the different verticals of search 
differently. And by that, I mean there's general search, there is specific Google News and Discover, and we've seen clients before, for instance, have specific manual actions where it comes to schema. So where their schema hasn't matched the on-page content, Google has given them a, a manual action flag in Search Console and they they won't be eligible for kind of rich results anymore. So the medical information or the medical rules that Google have are quite specific in that they say Google doesn't allow publishing medical content that contradicts or runs contrary to scientific or medical consensus and evidence-based practices. And that's for Google News and Discover. That doesn't apply to general Google search. Um, that's a bit of a free-for-all, as you've probably seen, lots of conspiracy sites. Yeah, and especially over the last two years. Yeah, we, we did that, actually. We looked at the trends, didn't we, for conspiracy theories as part of some research we're doing. And the spike in 2020 was <laughs> like 20, 30x yeah, the usual. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Noticeable. It was a feeding frenzy of conspiracy <laughs> theories uh, around COVID. So what Glenn's covering here is that he saw some sites were getting messages in Search Console saying that there had been violations of these medical content guidelines. And if they weren't fixed, there might be a manual action. And then the sites that didn't address these, about six months later, manual actions did follow. So there is this potentially long period between you getting a warning, having time to to sort it out, but that train is coming down the tracks <laughs> if you don't get it sorted. So potential problem here of we're publishing lots of content that's health medical based. How do we know? How can we be sure? How can we add in extra checks to make sure we're not contravening these rules? And this is where NewsGuard comes in. So NewsGuard is an organization that has a team of analysts that are trained journalists and they review websites based on nine journalistic criteria, including credibility, transparency, and trust. And Glenn writes, they were originally started by focusing on news organizations, but they've expanded into health and medical as well. For example, there is now a health guard service that quote, helps patients, healthcare workers, and anyone involved in the medical field identify trustworthy sources of health information and avoid dangerous misinformation. Once a site's been reviewed, NewsGuard produces what they call a nutritional label rating the site, which can appear in search results if you're using, there's actually a Chrome plugin for NewsGuard, so you can see that nutritional label score directly in the SERPs. And in addition to that, NewsGuard actually has relationships with several organizations. For example, Bing, Facebook, the American Federation of Teachers, AFT, the World Health Organization, WHO, and others have partnered with NewsGuard to fight disinformation. Now, to be clear, nobody, we, Glenn, is not saying that Google algorithms use NewsGuard. We're, we're saying they don't. What the point Glenn's making is it can be a really healthy, um, sorry, it can be a really good proxy for kind of thinking about how Google might rate the quality of these sites, especially when dealing with medical and healthcare, because he's noticed the correlation between the sites that were receiving penalties and the scores they were getting with their nutritional labels by NewsGuard. So really good suggestion from Glenn here is if you are publishing a site with health or medical content, then add some additional checks you can put in place to ensure you don't receive a manual action or you're not leaving yourself exposed for a manual action around medical content. 
you can be using the NewsGuard plugin to see the nutritional labels. So if you see red all over the label, you might want to be more cautious or at least dig in further to learn more about that organization's views. So he said, for example, if the publisher that he's covered in this post received the manual action, checked NewsGuard before publishing the content, then they probably wouldn't have published it at all as long as they obviously understood Google's policies around that. I think it's a really good idea because when it comes to eat in general, the topic I think gets quite vague very quickly about, well, how do we demonstrate expertise? We were actually talking in the office this morning about how I've seen spammers trying to attribute post authors to people who are known to write content. <laughs> yeah. Because they're like, oh, well, this person writes a lot about SEO, they're known. So I'm just going to use them as the author name. Hopefully Google will think they wrote it and my content will rank higher. So this is at least an objective way to score content um, for this particular niche. Um, so I think it's a really good idea um, if, if, as Glenn says, if you are writing health medical content. Now, this, this runs parallel, again, to discussions we were having in general around EAT, that we had discovered some websites, which shall remain nameless in this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> that were quite obviously generating mashups of various scraped content at a huge scale so we're talking in the hundreds of thousands million or so pages and these sites there were several of them we found all in the same template so i would say obviously by the same creator yeah we're getting between 200,000 and 700,000 visitors a month to this content and there was no expertise <laughs> authority or trust you know from a content point of view for this site and I think, again, that's an interesting point for when we're dealing with this really niche long tail content, which this was, this was all like super niche, zero volume search stuff, that if there isn't any competition and you're one of the only pages that specifically deals with that, then it, you know, Eat's kind of a tiebreaker. And, you know, don't forget, Eat isn't just about the on-page stuff and the authors. It's about links and stuff as well. Not that the link profiles were any good mm. here, but it's worth keeping in mind that Eat, you know, again, there isn't a specific like one Eat score that Google has, but it's not something from a content point of view that's so harshly applied to every website because we can quite clearly see these sites with incredibly poor content, which from a human point of view, you can see there's glaring errors oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah. there. Even um, at a glance, you can tell these sites are just scraped nonsense and titled questions and answers not matching up properly and titles not matching with articles and all kinds of stuff and yeah still getting indexed still being <laughs> crawled it's uh yeah definitely not not factoring in at that level and i think it's really interesting when you kind of get to that higher levels as you said like that's when eat really matters when you're talking about really broad topics really important topics and you're up there with some of the bigger sites discussing those things the more authoritative sites that's when you really, really need to care about this stuff and really factor that into your content. And hopefully you aren't scraping and making nonsense generated sites, listeners. But if you are, let's have a look. We want to see. We run around some tests and have a look. <laughs> so talking about scraping and making nonsense, um, I have done a test, which is a site that is scraping and generating nonsense. No ads or anything on it, but I'm testing 
because I I think this will rank despite this being like a 15 20 year old method of mad libbing stuff and again as I did in my Brighton SEO talk I think this has got to do with recent updates and how Google's handling long tail queries um, but I've got that set up as a test and I'll share the results with everyone and share the URL um, if it starts to rank it's only been live like what is it four or five days yeah. and it's already got about 100 pages in Google index Bing kindly has already crawled it and started sending traffic to it Good old Bing. Um, good old you can always Bing. rely on Bing. <laughs> but that'll be interesting. We'll, we'll publish the results of that as well. Well, speaking of AI-generated content, there's been a little bit of an update on Google's guidelines around this. <laughs> and we did touch on this last week as well. We kind of talked about what Google considers AI-generated content and, and Google's stance on that that has been kind of confirmed fairly recently but there has been a a little bit of an addition to the specific guidelines from google hasn't there mark yeah so i feel like the the we published obviously the last episode we published on mondays yeah and we recorded it after there was this big kind of like oh google says you can't use ai content and there was then this kind of very um polarized debate of some people <laughs> saying you know no you definitely can't use any ai content for anything it's always going to be spam um didn't really have that many moderate people <laughs> um i mean as i said in the last episode my view is always as long as it's helpful to the user i don't see yep. why google would care and yep. you know i wouldn't care personally as a i user. agree with you yeah um but yeah the webmaster guidelines page has been updated so instead of now saying avoid the following techniques and then it lists automatically generated content they've now added on the end of that automatically generated content intended to manipulate search rankings which actually does match the language they've used elsewhere so I don't nothing's changed at Google. I think they're just being clearer that it's they've okay. Got, they've got that uniformity across all of their guidelines, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's okay to use it as a tool mm -hmm. as long as the end result is better for the user. Because as we said, actually this has been happening for years as well on big sites and there is a there is an objective good use for it that provides value. You gave the example uh, of like the earthquake alerts yeah, and stuff exactly. like that. And massive news sites have this stuff ready to go when, you know, big news events happen, people die, natural disasters, all that kind of stuff. You don't have somebody sat there like, right, this latest earthquake has happened or this latest natural disaster has happened. As you said last week, Mark, you get those people where it's, oh, it will generate the basic kind of template for you and then maybe you'll get an editor into just a kind of, sprinkle a few things in there and tidy up and that kind of thing. But the vast majority of that is generated by a robot. It's generated by AI. So, yeah, there's there's definitely a, a principle and a precedent set there. And, yeah, a hot debate on SEO Twitter, that's for sure. Intended to manipulate search rankings, I think, is always going to be very difficult for Google because if the content is indistinguishable from a human, how do you know the intent of it being created it's isn't, very different isn't manipulating search rankings basically what we do for a living as well no no we create value <laughs> oh sorry yes yes, yes. <laughs> let's move on to the next topic <laughs> quick let's move on so as i mentioned at the top of the show we have the latest edition of index watch from systrix this is index watch for q1 of 2022 we're looking at the uk winners and losers 
As always, you can go to search.withcanda.co.uk. You can read this post in full, written by the fantastic team over at Systrix. This post in particular, written by the one and only Luce Rawlings, who is a regular writer of these index watch kind of things. Luce does fantastic work over there. The big winner, interestingly enough, is Wikipedia. I know. Never shot. heard of them. No, exactly. <laughs> uh, Luce goes into a bit more detail about why she thinks Wikipedia have seen such growth in visibility, essentially. We're looking at the Citrix visibility index and seeing where their rankings are, what kind of keywords they're ranking for, all that kind of stuff, and seeing where their positions are moving over the last sort of, yeah, three or four months or so since the beginning of the year. And to quote from Luce here on the Index Watch post, from analyzing the domain's keyword data from the 10th of January to the 28th of March, we can see that Wikipedia has started ranking for more keywords. In addition, existing keywords have also experienced an improvement in ranking position. There you go. Given there was no Google algorithm update and that other reference sites have not seen a major change, this could indicate a change in the way Google is using Wikipedia in the SERPs. Interesting. Very interesting. We'll keep an eye on Wikipedia over the long term. Any theories, Mark? Any ideas about what, what Google could be doing for Wikipedia? As you said, never heard of it, so I know, <laughs> I know you're coming out of the blue here, but... Yeah, it... No, is, is <laughs> you know, I mean, from all the kind of metrics that we know about, obviously Wikipedia is always going to score high. Lots of people cite it. It's, you know, a verified kind of source of information. I think the arguments about, oh, it can't be trusted because anyone can edit it have pretty much died out when yeah. you've seen the studies where it's more accurate than like Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> I think it's difficult to say because it might be in some cases, again, Google not changing how they rank websites but understanding queries better so understanding the intent behind a query better rather than you know oh we're, we're increasing or decreasing the importance of this kind of this factor it's never a surprise for me when wikipedia gets no. more traffic because you know it's a good site but i don't think there's anything there that would be kind of actionable for me from a we need to we need to do we need to be more like wikipedia <laughs> in our in our company i think this Good is luck, just a big wikipedia yeah exactly. yeah i think it's like as a general trend we're seeing m more fragmentation in terms of google understanding intent and what types of sites they're they're returning and um, similarly how we talked about the review update and google sort of being a bit more selective about which sites it's listening to that it feels are doing fair comparisons. And I guess, again, in terms of the, the things Wikipedia is providing because it's a citation, because it's reviewed by the community, you can kind of trust that that's a fairly good source for that. Yeah, yeah. Again, when we see any big jump in any particular sites, I'm always interested to see how long that will last because Google obviously do tests for various algorithm updates they're going to do to see what it looks like but i don't think they ever really know until it's kind of rolled out and it's not uncommon sometimes where we've seen large sites win or lose big so you know daily mail had massive loss a couple of years ago so much so they were going onto seo forums asking for advice we've seen <laughs> pinterest at times have massive gains and then three six months later obviously some levers have been adjusted and things go back um, so it wouldn't surprise me if they've seen massive gains that maybe that gets tuned down. Yeah, definitely. And something we have seen a seemingly temporary spike in another one of the, one of the winners is Tidal. 
We mentioned Spotify a few weeks ago in the in talking about index watch and trend watch and things like that. So having its competitor Tidal see a quite a significant increase in the visibility index. Again, looking at Q1 2022 here. Luce goes on to talk about how the URL count on Tidal is very, very high. And there is a history of large swings, as you were just saying, Mark, these large sites see big swings both positively and negatively. And it's interesting to see that there's also a lot of competition in that you know, big music site range, as you can imagine. So kind of expect to see this from from Tidal and Spotify and those other kind of big music streaming platforms. They rank very highly for like artist names and stuff like that, which have masses and masses of search volume, as you can imagine. So yeah, there's a lot of kind of volatility in those in those big kind of music streaming sites and big music pages and things like that. Uh, another interesting one, kind of tying back into Eat and what we were just talking about, is astrostyle.com, which I can't say. I've heard of Tidal. I've heard of Wikipedia. I genuinely had not heard of astrostyle.com. I've heard of it. I'm not much of an astrology person. I apologize, listeners, if you are a big astrology fan. But yes, it is a dedicated kind of horoscopes website associated with Elle magazine. And it has seen a pretty significant increase in organic growth organic search visibility over the last few months as well and they had a slump towards the end of 2021 so they're kind of picking back up again now uh, possibly following the november core update as lou says here in the post and yeah maybe we'll see how google handles this kind of stuff Luce talks about this again in the, in the post about how how you handle the kind of trustworthiness and the authoritativeness and the expertise of somewhat subjective things like horoscopes like how do you judge if somebody's an expert on a horoscope or not and we even talked earlier before we started recording ai generated horoscopes are probably already a thing and you don't even know yet so can you tell the difference between a very very dated reference here mystic meg giving you your horoscopes and somebody just churning out nonsense on a website how do you tell the difference between that jack will be celebrating too <laughs> yeah, so this was actually a subject uh, kind of area that I looked at when... Astrology. Yeah, when yeah. I was looking at experimenting mm. with AI-generated mm. content. So when we were playing around with OpenAI and the Q&A stuff that did, it's really impressive. It did occasionally get the answer wrong. So I started looking at areas where the answers weren't quite so objective, to put it. So they were the kind of subjective answers. And astrology was an area that interested me because I was like, okay, looking at these astrology sites, a lot of it is interpretive. And therefore, naturally with that area, how, as you say, would, would Google judge, well, this answer is correct or this answer is better than this one? Well, no, you should spend more time with your family. That's the objectively <laughs> correct answer. Like, how and can it tell? And I think this touches back to what I said at the top of the show about EAT, which is that, you know, when we're talking about expertise, authority, trust, this isn't just an on-page thing here. A large chunk of, of EAT is to do still with links. And that's one way Google measures trust and authority, which is our other websites, you know, linking to it. You've seen now as well. Are those websites themselves authoritative in their space and yeah, so on and, and so forth? Google's started putting in those, um, I think it's for the news stories, the citated labels now mm. to to show where news stories have been citated a lot. Obviously, that's been a thing for like academic papers for a long time, you know, have, as how much has been cited. So I'd, I think, you know, the answer to that would be fairly straightforward for me, which is if we can't judge 
you know, if the content is not super important, then it needs to be correct. And if it's difficult to judge the objectivity, then we le we fall back on other metrics when we understand the query, like the link graph stuff. Yeah, very interesting stuff. We'll, we'll keep an eye on the astrology world from an SEO perspective. And uh, I'm sure we'll have an update later on about that kind of stuff as well. And going on to the biggest losers, we're talking about YouTube, interestingly enough. YouTube, don't often think of YouTube as a loser in terms of search growth and search visibility. I love that this has happened because I have, <laughs> not because I dislike YouTube, I think YouTube's great. Right? Oh, yeah. The, the reason I love that this has happened is I encounter lots of people that say, oh, Google just ranks YouTube above all the other video sites. And when you start showing them, you say, okay, which which site, you know, this or Vimeo or something, and you compare them side by side, Google actually, in these cases, has followed its own SEO practices better. Those videos are more discoverable, uh, more indexable. They've got more kind of meta content around them. And just the volume as well, you know, for every one video on another platform, there's like 100,000 videos probably on YouTube. Yeah. So just from a probability point of view, if you do a video search, yeah, it's probably going to be YouTube because the <laughs> library's massive. Yeah, exactly. And loose touches on that actually having the fact that we have more video placement on SERPs. So uh, Luce dives into it here using host name data. So diving into the data here on a, on a granular kind of scale. The host name visibility data confirmed that along with the increase in video placement on SERPs, as you just said, Mark, uh, question image and new placements have also increased as well. So with that in mind, you also see a decline in video showing the primary result listings. And equally, more videos are now shown in SERP features instead, making search results for queries for these much more enjoyable to browse. So you get lots more videos, not just YouTube answers. And Luz touched on something here, kind of what you just hinted at as well, Mark. Is it that because, you know, Google and YouTube are under the alphabet umbrella, they're all part of the same kind of parent company, is it possible that organic search criteria doesn't apply in the same way to YouTube? Possibly. We don't know, obviously. But yeah, very interesting to see. And notice a specific decrease in prioritization of YouTube content for high high volume keywords with no and do intent specifically. So yeah, see very interesting to see YouTube on the decrease for once, which we so often see it on the on the increase. I'd just like to say the Gemini horoscope for Wednesday says that it's a good day to put your positive attitude into practice. You can make progress in your relationships and career if you stay focused and optimistic. Things may not be perfect, but you can make the best of what you have. Keep your head up and keep your eyes open for opportunities. How did that feel to you? Um, that, I'm not a Gemini, but that, that sounds I'm great. I'm a Gemini. There I'm you go. Gemini. But that, that was written uh, while you were talking by <laughs> OpenAI. <laughs> So uh, if you need any more, let me know. It will do. We'll, we'll put it through our AI voice thing and then we have the full experience of just creating our own horoscopes podcast. Maybe that could be a little value add at the end. We could just have a, we could have the AI read out the AI horoscope at the end of the podcast. <laughs> Stay tuned, listeners. Listen past the, the closing music at the end. Once that dial tone hits, you'll get your very own personalized AI horoscope at the end. A extra added value from the Search with Canda podcast right there. Okay, we are in PPC land, specifically the Google Ads continent of PPC land. <laughs> and there's been a couple of updates to the interface, which I thought were quite interesting. Uh, 
So again, I will link to the canonical sources of this on the Google blog. But firstly, we have multi-account ad Google Ads dashboards. So dashboards provide a single place for you to review consolidated performance statistics across your account. And to date, these dashboards have only been able to pull in data from individual accounts, obviously making it difficult for you to spot potential problems, opportunities across multiple accounts, especially obviously if you're an agency or a freelancer. So to make this easier for you, Google now has added the ability to use dashboards at the manager account level. So as part of this update, they've made dashboards faster, apparently, which is great because that Google Ads interface can be a little bit clunky. And there's several improvements, including change date ranges and filters for dashboards as a whole, add interactive table cards, rich formatting features and conditional formatting, download reports faster and at a higher quality, resize cards and layouts dynamically based on window size and create a dashboard card by copying over existing saved reports. So a few extra features, they're under reports menu in the Google Ads Manager account and click on dashboards. But that I think is gonna be really handy, especially if you're working maybe at an agency, you've got five, 10, 20 different accounts that you're kind of looking after to be able to have one dashboard to quickly look through and just spot um, any issues or opportunities. Secondly, and I picked this one up through the TLDR marketing newsletter. If you're not subscribed to that, I would highly recommend it. One of my favorite marketing newsletters for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So it's one of the only two actually I subscribe to that <laughs> and Aleda's SEO FOMO. And a lot of the stuff you'll hear us talking on the podcast comes, we pick stuff out of those two newsletters and just kind of talk about them in more detail, both excellent sources of information. So this is an update about Google Ads custom columns. So spanning across all Google Ads products, custom columns are an easy way for you to quickly see information that's most important to your business. Google is adding new metrics and features that make it easier to view your data. You can now do the following with custom columns. You can include spreadsheet functions. You can calculate and compare metrics across date ranges, reference other custom columns in a formula, Add more non-metric columns in your formula, including columns like campaign name, budget, and more. Utilize new column formats like text, true-false boolean columns, and date. Apply multiple filters to one formula and filter by custom variables for conversions. Just wanted to mention those two updates because I know working uh, on Google Ads, it can be very difficult to keep up with all of the changes that they make. They're not particularly vocal about them. You don't hear them discussed in too many places. But We've talked about this before, haven't we? The, the SEO stuff gets shouted to the rooftops and everybody kind of forgets about the poor <laughs> people working with Google Ads. And so, yeah, we like to shout out PPC stuff and updates you may have missed while we're here, just in case you have missed it on your in your day-to-day -day subscribing to newsletters and keeping up to date and all that kind of stuff. If you're on Twitter as well, there is a hashtag PPC chat, which can be useful as a nice little community there that can help you with these kind of things as well. So we're gonna wrap things up by talking about the new partnership between WooCommerce and Pinterest. And if you use WooCommerce to power your shop, I know 
plenty of people who do. I know a few sites I work on do as well. There is now a Pinterest extension that turns your entire product catalog into shoppable product pins. And if you've ever used Pinterest, oh boy, have you seen those product pins before? You can use it for like home decor and clothing and appliances and all kinds of stuff. Doesn't matter what you sell. With this new integration, each product listing becomes its own shoppable pin. Kind of creating your own little shopping feed through the power of Pinterest, combining with WooCommerce there as well. Mark, you've ever used Pinterest for anything or clicked on a pin by accident? <laughs> <laughs> so I've I've used WooCommerce a lot, uh, run my own e-commerce business on WooCommerce. I never really got that into Pinterest. My wife uses it a lot for home stuff. <laughs> Interesting you mentioned your wife. My fiancé, soon-to-be wife, has forced me onto Pinterest for part of our wedding planning stuff. So it was like browsing, oh, what do you think of these kind of suits? Or what do you think of these kind of shoes? Or, I don't know, wedding rings for men and all that kind of stuff. I actually ended up finding the kind of wedding ring I wanted through Pinterest and ended up buying it on Etsy. But still, kind of getting that, the whole pin board kind of thing where you get a vibe of, these are the kind of things I like. And it's a good like kind of quick reference way between you and your partner or you and your colleagues or whoever it is you're kind of collaborating with to say like, oh yeah, turns out I like this kind of shoe or this kind of thing. I'm guessing your wife does the same thing in terms of like, let's make the living room look like this. It should all go blue. And you go, no, I want green and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, shopping itself, I think, is naturally a very visual activity. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, pre-internet, you go into shops and the main thing you do is look at stuff, you know, you <laughs> browse it and then you hone in on something you like. And, you know, that's why Google Shopping Ads evolved the way they did because Google Shopping Ads weren't a thing to begin with and now they're incredibly visually heavy. And the same with Google's pushing a lot of updates around shopping experiences, particularly for fashion, where the SERPs are very heavily skewed to just look at this bunch of images because it's very quick to for anything like with style so like how yeah like wedding stuff house stuff fashion stuff it's very much uh, you can assimilate a huge amount of information visually very quickly and hone down on i like this style i like this color and there are actually things sometimes that are very difficult to describe with text definitely so there's like particular like there's particular style of shirt i like with the type of collar and i think they're like asian in origin you don't really find them much um you know in the uk i have no idea what words i would use to describe that but i can use image search to just scroll through a hundred and then be like ah here here's that's roughly what i'm after and then you know use images from then so really exciting i think there's such an easy way for um for woocommerce merchants to get that stuff on pinterest and the, the interesting stat that pinterest released was that 97 percent of top searches on pinterest are unbranded having used pinterest that doesn't surprise me at all because it is you like you said you're looking for a, a vibe or a, a, a genre or a style i've never gone like i want this particular type of suit or i want this particular my fiance was looking for chairs to match our dining room table the other day and it was kind of like things that chairs that go well with white tables and stuff like that it's these very like long tail kind of search terms and yeah never once did i even think like oh yeah we should be trying to match the brand for whatever reason that never even occurred to either of us as we were searching through independently so yeah 
it's an incredible statistic. 97% is quite, <laughs> quite the statistic. But yeah, having been using it for the last sort of 18 months or so in preparation of all my wedding planning stuff, I'm not surprised because that's certainly how I use it is no branding whatsoever. Pinterest advising, even if you've made the shopping pins before and you're on WooCommerce that you should switch over to this uh, extension that they're using. So yeah, there's no no downside to this really. If you're doing shopping, you're on WooCommerce, get this Pinterest extension and get your stuff on there. So that's all we've got time for this week. We'll be back next week. Uh, it's Monday, the 27th of April, with all the latest SEO, PPC, and maybe some astrology news as well. And until then, have a brilliant week. Thanks so much for listening. And over to Mark with the AI astrology update. A horoscope for SEOs. You have a lot of energy and enthusiasm for your work right now. And it's paying off. Your hard work is starting to pay off in terms of rankings and traffic. And you can expect to see even more progress in the coming weeks. Keep up the good work and you'll be reaping the rewards soon. Generated by OpenAI.